From Force Chicago, this is Go Forth, a podcast about entrepreneurship and connection made by a sisterhood of creative women. I'm Amanda Glandon. And I'm Amelia Fruby. This is season three, episode four. ago, we hosted a panel at Ace Hotel Chicago, where we invited a few members of Forth to talk about their experiences with all things money and business. We were floored by all of the wisdom that they shared and how helpful and practical it was, and we're super excited to be able to share a recording of that event with you here on the Go Forth podcast. We're going to be tapping the insights from four different women, um, two of which are the women of Presence Agency, Mallory Ulisek and Kelsey Kreiling. Also, Elise Metzger of Forward Fruit and L'Oreal Thompson-Payton of LT in the City. Um, They all have kind of unique and different approaches to business finances, transparency, and also pricing. And along the way, we just got really great advice about how to change your relationship to money in your business and kind of in your life at large in a lot of ways too, I think. There's a ton of great stuff in this panel recording, so I think we'll go ahead and jump right in and hear the women introduce themselves. Uh, hi, my name is L'Oreal Payton, and I am by day the Director of Communications for One Goal. We are a national college access and success organization, and we focus on helping students from underserved communities get into college and graduate from college. And if that weren't enough in and of itself, I'm also a blogger. You can find me at ltinthecity.com at the intersection of lifestyle, wellness, and career advice for women, ambitious millennial women. And also freelance writer, you can find my work at Hello Giggles. I also write for Ceci as a quarterly teen magazine for black girls. I've also written for Ebony, Jet, and many others. Hello, my name is Elise Metzger. I'm first and foremost a designer. Um, I have two businesses. The first is Filigree Suppers, and that was sort of my first foray into not having a 9-to-5 job. Um, and we are a supper club, and we pop up all over the country on a when-we-feel-like-it basis. Um, and then we also, when we collaborate with a lot of artists and designers, and that's actually how I got involved in Ford. Um, and then I recently launched my new business, um, Forward Fruit, and essentially it's, um, interior environments and experiential design. I am a stylist also, and it all, I will explain to you how that all ties together. Um, my background is primarily in interior design and branding, um, and strategy. So I'm smushing those all together. Uh, hi, everyone. My name is Mallory Ulazic. I am one half of Presence Agency. The other half is sitting next to me. I'll let her introduce herself by a little bit about our company. We um, do two things within Presence. The first is that we build websites, and the second is that we um, produce events specifically, most often for nonprofits, um, with a high focus in fundraising and sponsorship. Uh, she covered most of it. My name is Kelsey Gilbert Kreiling. I'm the other half of, of Presence with Mallory. And yeah, we love to work with clients that are in the hospitality and nonprofit sectors, both on the website and production side. And we try to have some fun doing it. Um, wonderful. So we wanted to start with the topic of transparency and a kind of open question to ask you, what does transparency mean to you and your business or career? Uh, I, I'm holding the hot potato, so I guess I can start. Um, Mal and I started our business. I was coming off of a pretty negative experience working for another company full time. 
And uh, we started our business with creating, with the idea of helping, I don't know, helping other businesses be better at what they do, really. And the way that that first started out was building West restaurant websites. And I'd come from a background where I was doing that, but it was, you know, a really complicated process. You're sending out bids for sites that were like way more than people could afford as restaurants and way more time than they could dedicate. And so we really started the first half of our business with the intention of creating uh, accessible, beautiful, and useful websites for business owners who know that it's a quick moving medium um, and really tried to evolve that into every part of our business. Um, like all of our production process is really transparent. And it's it's become such a core model. It's, it's just how we do it. It's the respect that we have for our clients. And it's honestly for us the easiest way to work. So um, my experience as sort of being out on my own started about a year and a half ago. And um, I got sort of laid off from a job. My job moved to Germany. And I had an opportunity to go. And I said no. So then I decided, well, I'm not. I kind of didn't decide I'm just going to go out on my own. I sort of just didn't see anything that I liked. So I just kind of kept being out on my own. Um, and that grew, you know, I've been through like some ups and downs, but I think transparency in that process means being very open and honest about what kind of services I provide, what kind of services I want to provide, um, what things I don't want to do, um, and what my, you know, core skill sets are. And I think that in terms of being transparent, just I always sort of tried to shoehorn the things that I wanted to do into these job titles. And that felt very dishonest after a certain period of time because I was always leaving a part of myself on the table that meant a lot to me. So I think that transparency has really come to be more about honesty with myself and about anyone that might want to hire me. Like, I don't do that, but I do that kind of. I think for me being in a more, um, traditional corporate, I guess, setting. It's um, lifting as I climb because I am a habitual career changer. <laughs> I, mean, I started my career as a journalist and did that for about seven, eight years before switching to nonprofits. There's a book of CPS in there as well that I don't really talk about that much because it was only six months. Um, but people, especially my younger colleagues, are like, well, how did you do that? How did you get there? How did you get promoted to this position? And just being forthcoming with that knowledge because I know that I didn't get here on my own. So I feel this moral obligation to pay it forward and to help them as well by being honest and transparent of, hey, this worked out. This didn't work out. I tried that. Wish I hadn't done it. If I were in your shoes, this is what I would do. Because I think as women, as women of color, especially, sometimes you don't have that person looking out for you. So it's important for me to be that person to pay it forward and to help the ones who are coming up after me. So this question's for Elise. Um, so what is, you know, you work with so many different partners and other vendors, and it seems like so much of your work is, is actually about collaboration by yeah. nature. So what does transparency look like for you between you and your partner who have worked together? Um, so I think for me, a lot of the time it's about the process, um, because I think that that is when things really get hung up the most. Um, if you don't sort of outline the process before you start a project and also sort of these check-ins, like when things can go awry, um, sometimes you communicate all of those things. Sometimes you just know to build that into your process. But in general, on the, on the like onset of a project, kind of outlining that no matter how small it is, how small this little collaboration is, 
if you do it for free, if you do it for a lot of money, it should still be the same process, like regardless. So I think that outlining that is one of the most important things to me because that in and of itself will cost you money if you don't do it correctly. And then another thing is, um, I am very upfront about what I charge. If people can't afford all of the service. If they can't afford that price, then I say that I can still work for you and you can pay me less, but I will have to do less for you. But here are some other ways that you might be able to get away with that. I get away with that. Make that work. And, uh, and also, um, because I work with different kind, in different kinds of projects, some are more hourly rates, some are more a flat rate. Um, explaining that that's just how that particular industry works if people don't necessarily know. Um, and, you know, my hourly doesn't change that drastically between the things that I do. So I think process, process is the most important thing of those. Okay. Um, I think that's a really helpful thing to think about. And I thought about process a lot in the terms of Healthy and Mallory with presence and how, can you share a little bit of how you developed the, the process of this very like seemingly straightforward model of the week of the website and how was transparency? Was it a part of that from the beginning? Was it something that you were going to share with people the whole time? Did you eventually realize it had to be incredibly transparent? Um, can you talk about how that worked a little bit? Yeah, so I think this would be helpful to set up with a little bit of background information. Um, so Kelsey and I, we build websites in one week um, by utilizing a very productized service. Um, we are fully transparent <clears throat> about how we approach the process, what happens during the process, what clients can expect. The entire, this idea's inception came from the fact that we had started building websites for clients that were basically the norm of how designers and developers would work. Um, so these processes lasted a very, very long time. So um, the reason that we came up with Week of the Website is because we decided that that system was a little bit broken. And I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm sorry if there's any web developers in here who like staunchly disagree. Um, but for us and for the way that we particularly wanted to work, which was not with the same client for six months and constantly restarting a conversation Every time we met with them, redrawing them back into the project to make certain points, we were just wasting a lot of time on on those points. We ended up walking into the Squarespace office in New York and, and talking to them and hearing about what some of the other companies were doing. We walked out and we we're like, we could do websites in one week, right? And Kelsey was like, yeah, I think we could do it. So we spent some time thinking about what that would look like and how we would get that to a place where where the process really matched what the end result could be and how we could take that six typically, I don't know, after six months ish, maybe less prod project would look in a in a one week span and how can we make it affordable for the type of clients we were going after. Um so we're we're not looking for those big ground up builds. We are looking for the folks who don't have a huge budget who have very busy jobs. I like to use the, you know, small business owners wear many hats analogy. Like we all do. We don't have time for this. And so we took it from that perspective of being like, how can we distill this process and make it really simple and easy for folks? And how can we do a lot of the heavy lifting, utilizing the expertise that we have grown into by building multiple websites? 
Um, so we decided on leaving the website. We were like, we build websites in one week. Um, we were able to make the price affordable by starting with a templated, um, design that in no way, shape, or form do our websites end up looking like that templated design. However, you know, that is the way that we are able to cut a lot of the cost and time out of, out of the process. If you're familiar with website design, you know, that, that is in and of itself the crux of, of the foundation. There's a lot of work that goes into that. So that is how we came up with the process. And that is, we decided on being fully transparent because it moves fast and you have to be ready. And the communication needs to be at a level that not everyone is prepared for. So this process only works for certain clients. And we do a very, at this point, a very good job of screening clients. It wasn't always this way. So not everyone fit into the perfect box that we were wanting when we were desperate. Um, but we definitely have, um, I kind of, I don't want to say like retrofitted, but like we've, we've managed our expectations and have been able to screen for the appropriate clients. Um, and one of the ways we do that is that we're very transparent about our process and our pricing. Um, and the reason we decided to throw it, throw it all up on our website, um, and feel free to look at our website, weekofthewebsite.com. Um, it explains everything we can do, everything that someone can expect. And a lot of that is because we are a high volume business. We cannot waste our time selling people on our project. We need all of those boxes to be checked before someone actually starts working with us. So before we even sit, before we even sit down and talk to someone, and we don't even sit down and talk to everyone, like this is over the phone. It's over the phone for a reason. It's because this is a process that needs to move quickly and it's pretty affordable for most small businesses. Um, you know, we, we send an email and it's, it's an automated, not an automated email, but it's a canned email. If you're familiar with Gmail canned emails and it's like, look at our process, our pricing and our past clients. And they're all links and it's like, go to this and this is going to fulfill all of the boxes that we need checked prior to us talking to you so that we're already pre-clearing all of our clients and taking care of a lot of time wasted that we don't want to waste time on. Um, I always say to Kelsey, I'm like, if I can't sell this in one 15 minute phone conversation, they're not a good fit for us. Um, and I feel really strongly about that, that his brain, like we should not be convincing you to work with us. You should be interested in what we can do see from our past work that we're in line with what you want. And, you know, basically most of our work is done for us. So the transparency factor is working for us as a business model when you're trying to do these high volume things and you, you're, it's just the two of us. That's not like, that's not like, Oh my God, we're so great. You should look at our website and want to work with us. It's, we have something very specific that like some people come to us and they want a thousand dollar website and that's not what we do. And in that case, we're like, here's a free course that we've made that you can just use to build your own website. And some people come to us wanting a ten to fifteen thousand dollar website, and that's like, I don't, I don't want the pressure of that because that's also not what we do. And so we have a great list of people we can refer out to. And in being really selective of the type of projects that are a good fit for our process, it lets us be completely open. Like, our websites cost three thousand dollars. Or if it's an existing Squarespace website that you want updated, it's three days and we do it for $1,500. If you want an e-commerce store, it's $4,500. Like there's no secret. Like you can do the math for the year and figure out like exactly how much we can stand to make in a year. But that's, it helps us. Like it helps us narrow down the type of people who are interested in. That means when people come to us, we're all on the same page. And then it's just talking about like, what's the project? What's the magic? what it is that you want us to help you accomplish. 
And it's so much more fun that way because there's no secrets. There's no hiding. It's really, it's become, it's, it's really like we feel like we can't work any other way and rarely ever break that mold. Thank you for all of that. I think it's, I really appreciate, no, no, that was, that was was a time from here on out. Me processing, not you needing to speak less. Um, I really was trying, thinking while both, like we were all talking about kind of the, the ways in which transparency starts with yourself and your business and knowing what your product is, what your process is and who your client is. And I think that that's a really powerful takeaway if you're going to think about transparency that it starts with you and your business. Um, I'm wondering, L'Oreal, if you could speak to, you already talked about how transparency is important for you and lifting as you climb, but we've heard a lot now about transparency in a business client relationship. Could you talk a little bit in terms of maybe uh, between colleagues, what does transparency look like for you? How does that work? It was funny that we started talking about Equal Pay Day and Julie mentioning the rate that everyone throws out about this is how much a woman needs to make. And I appreciate you pointing out that that's for white women, that it's lower for black women and even lower for Hispanic women. And I found that to be very true at my previous employer when I broke the rules like HR hates me, I'm pretty sure. (laughs) But we had a very candid conversation because we were just all fed up. There's this idea for some reason that a lot of nonprofits that you have to be a modern and the passion is more important than the paycheck. I read to an extent that I want to do something that's fulfilling to me and meaningful in my career and my life, but that doesn't mean I want to go broke in the process. So when we started talking to each other to figure out, hey, this is what you're making, this is what I'm making, but that's less than what she's making. And I have more experience than her. Like the discrepancies were just appalling, to be honest. And once we had those conversations with each other, especially last year when they presented me with a promotion that was mostly in title only, not so much in salary, that's when I, my ears perked up. (laughs) Like, let me ask around because this doesn't feel right. It doesn't sound right. I was looking online and knew that it was below market value. And then I talked to colleagues or acquaintances at other nonprofits in similar roles to find out. What they were making, the women that I happened to talk to were also black. So that's like a level playing field of like, okay, we're both or all three of us in the same kind of position. And they told me what they were making. My jaw literally dropped because <laughs> I'm like, that is significantly more than what I had been offered as a promotion. And that's when I started making my exit plan because it was just, I'm leaving money on the table by not going after more. And I asked for more at that current position and was told no several times. Like, okay, watch. Um, and so after talking to my friends, learning of what the going rate was, doing more research, hiring a career coach, um, I believe also in investing in yourself. And I had three sessions with her that just really helped me hone in on what it is that I wanted in that next position. Um, also the resume review and just overhauling everything to make myself worthy of those positions that I was going after. Um, but if I hadn't had that conversation, if they weren't open enough and willing to be honest and transparent and vulnerable with me, I would have had no idea. And I just would have settled for what the promotion was. And that would have been it. And I would have been leaving money on the table. So it's hard because when you find out that your coworker is making more than you, it's kind of disheartening if you're doing the same level of work or more. Um, but I really believe in helping other people, especially my colleagues who are younger or starting out and they're just feeling lost and not really sure what to do next. Like, okay, we're going to figure this out together. Here's how we're going to do it. Yeah. 
Well, you're already starting to talk a little bit about money, so I want to dive down that rabbit hole a little bit more with you and talk about um, LT in the city. I know you've started to monetize some pieces of that and kind of flip it into more of, you know, deciding on your business model there. Um, how have you tried to figure out how you're going to price things and what has that process been? Art. <laughs> um, and that's the reason I'm still in a day job because I like that security of having the constant paycheck every two weeks. And I know right now it's very popular to be an entrepreneur or a full-time blogger. And for me, having the day job gives me that security blanket, if you will, that safety net where I can experiment with different things with my blog. And I don't say have to accept a sponsored post from a mattress company because I need to pay my bills. <laughs> it allows me to be more selective in the type of work that I am doing. But also, and again, with leaving money on the table, I looked at other people with newsletters or blogs and like, oh, she's doing classifieds in her newsletter. Well, I have a pretty strong readership open rate and I can do that too. And just pricing it out, asking again, my blogger friends, I have actually this Sunday, the third Sunday of every month, um, a blogger group accountability club where we talk to each other about exactly that, about the pricing. What are you charging for a sponsored post? What does that look like? And how are you like, what is the contract? And because there's so much that we don't know, especially in social media and creative entrepreneurship and blogging because it's still new. Um, and so having the conversations and talking to each other. But I also, at the end of the day, still wanted to be authentic. Like I'm not selling my soul for a sponsored post in this ad and this, that, and the other because my readers can tell. <laughs> um, and, but again, having the security of a day job gives me that flexibility and that creative freedom where if I don't like it, I'm not posting it and I'm not just going to shove something down your throat because I got a paycheck for it. So it allows me to be a little bit more selective and right now it's uh, been working out. Yeah, I think we can all relate to that, like scrolling through Instagram and being like, why is that person trying to sell me a TV or a home yeah, security like, system? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, and like normally I like it because I want them to make their dollar, but still it's always, a little, it feels off. So I appreciate that authenticity. Speaking of pricing and how you're working through that, at least you mentioned this a little bit already, but I was wondering if you could share a bit more of how when you work in a number of fields, how do you negotiate that kind of pricing differential of this is flat rate, this is hourly, um, and how do you do that in a way that still feels transparent and true to your business and your value? So um, I, you know, there are different kinds of uh, jobs that have different kinds of pay. So for um, event design, it's a flat rate. And you just say, this is, I know that it's going to, you know, take me 250 hours or 300 hours or 100, you know, depending on people's needs to do your event. And I want to get paid this much. And then you just make it work when you're, you know, you kind of keep track of your time and make sure not to go over. So you give them a, fat, a flat rate. Um, for styling jobs, um, which I do, um, those are all a flat rate too. For jobs that are a little bit more um, about like interior design, and creative work, uh, you do an estimate or I do an estimate on how much, how many hours I think it will take. And I bid it out based on, okay, this is how long I think that your project is going to take. This is my hourly rate. And the total is this. I will not bill you until I spend those hours. And these are the increments I will bill you. Um, but you're not going to go, you know, if you run out of money, I mean, I guess there's a minimum, but if you run out of money, I'm not going to spend your money and my time without you knowing that it's happening. So that's kind of a way that I do that. Um, 
I have a spread of about $70 um, between the lowest I'm willing to make and the highest I have been able to make. Once I charge X for a job and I know that someone will pay me for it, I will charge that again and then, you know, bump it up a little bit. Um, for filigree, we do a lot of branded suppers. And the first time we were so scared to ask for any money because we started doing it for free. Um, and then people paid us the exact thing that we asked for. <laughs> Some people said no, but enough people said yes that the next time we got, you know, contacted to do that, we sent out a bid for our new rate and it was fine. And it was like an $800 raise. So it wasn't a big deal. People have money. That's the other thing. I just want to talk about this. Is that it's great when someone asks you to do a job, but sometimes the money is trickling down from a very large company and they have money. And if they want to make money, they're going to have to spend it. And you can't get paid less than what you're worth so that a giant company can like shave some off the top. When I worked for SC Johnson, we sponsored a party for $15,000. I didn't have to ask anybody for permission. And I was like, a you know, a senior level designer, but it was like, I just gave this company $15,000 and I was able to do it and I was 31. So I feel like they have money. So don't take less than you're worth. The other thing I will say about that is that one time a woman insinuated that I got a job because I was the least expensive option and that was the last time I ever did that. And I gave myself a $200 a day raise based on that feedback because I want to get jobs because I'm good and because it's a good fit. And it doesn't mean that if you have a business model where a lower price works for you, that's just not, it's just not my model. So I don't know. Maybe I've gone so far from the question, but I just got real incensed about it. <laughs> no, I like it. Okay. Um, this is kind of an offshoot of that, but just because I'm selfishly interested. How, when you're working with the same client, you know, once you've already worked with them, what is the conversation like when you're like, you're going to have to pay more money this time? Well, just so you know, I'm charging other clients this now. I can do this last job for you for this, but the next job is going to be this. Um, that's, that's a kind of a good way to ease it in. Another one that I think I learned from Julie was, um, an email that was not attached to a job that in- announced a rate increase. Just like, hey guys, it's 2019. I charge a million dollars now. Hope you hire me. <laughs> I think that that's, you know, you're not gonna, you're not gonna be a dick about it and charge double. So if they like what you do and that just the extra whatever an hour or whatever a job is just too much, then you have outgrown them and it's okay. So Kelsey and Mallory. Um, you know, you found a way to really productize a seemingly unproductizable thing um, on the website side, but on the event side, um, how is it, you know, when you don't have event coworkers and, you know, you're potentially competing with other groups to take the job, um, how do you stay updated on client expectations and are you worried about what other people are charging? Do you find yourself recalibrating often um, the your, kind of your makeup of how you quote? So what I'll say about the event side of what we do is that it we work with primarily nonprofit clients. Um, we were actually talking about this a little bit earlier. 
it is so much easier to put all of your heart and hard work into something that you know is contributing to like something beneficial to your community. Events are so much work, right? So much work. Like it's, it's hard. And so I'm going to be completely honest and say, I actually have no idea what anyone else would charge to do what we do for clients like Pilot Light or Alex Eagleman's. Like I have no, I have no idea. We could be super low. We could be super high. But at the end of the day, we have developed um, essentially like a beginning flat rate for what we consider to be our all-inclusive production services. Um, that's what we've tested over the years and said, every time this group of clients comes back to us, these are the 25 things they ask us for. And here are the five things that we think they really need to be doing to make this a successful event. Some of the ways we've distinctified ourselves is by offering, offering some really um, high-touch fundraising and development uh, con- consulting. So creating innovative ways for them to raise more money. Um, helping them, you know, really connect with their mission through the event. And so for us, when it comes to pricing, we're less concerned about what other people are doing or how the industry is fluctuating and more how much success our clients are experiencing in working with us. So, you know, there's a client that we've worked with for, this will be our fourth, third or fourth, fourth year with them producing their event. And we started off as just like day of producers. And so that price is really different than if we're going to work with them for a year. And then we came in and did like the last three months. And then the last two years, we've done the entire event. And as our work has grown, so has our rate. But in that case, for us, we helped Pilot Light raise 51% more than they did the year before this year. So like we felt fine <laughs> asking for an equal percentage increase in our fee. And Mallory is like, oh my God, amazing with a budget. Like you guys, it is so easy for us to say to clients, hey, you only have this much budgeted for production. If you bring us on and you work with us on budget oversight and client, you know, booking of vendors, we're going to find you the extra amount of money that makes up the difference between what you want to pay for us and how much we're going to cost. And like, that's very hard to say no to because it's basically like, I would like to save you the bottom, a bunch of money so that you don't even care how much we cost because we're going to help you. And like, that is a bold claim, but we're comfortable making it because we've worked so hard to learn about their business, to understand their clientele. And so we feel less affected by the fluctuations of what's happening externally to us. And, you know, obviously there's increases for vendors and if the concept changes, but we're more focused on the individual client and how our work will affect them. And like, because we ask them to be transparent with us about their objectives, what they want to raise, what they've raised in the past, how they've done it, we can say like, all right, well, here's what we think can work. Here's how much we think we can increase it. And here's the work we're going to put into it to make it more successful for you. And that's like an amazing connection to be able to have with your client because you're on the same level and you're not telling them like, I think you should pay me more just because I'm like worth it more this year, which you very much are for for the record. Every year that you do work, you get better, hopefully. Um, So, but finding ways to identify the ways in which you are able to provide them more value. How do you say no? Like, how can people say no to that when you're making, when you're laying all of that out very clearly for them? And so that like the event stuff is a little bit more nebulous, but, for us, it's it doesn't vary too much either. Like, 
nonprofit fundraisers are not that different from each other. Um, there are different ways you can make them exciting, but overall, it's like mostly knowing the client and how you can help them. I really think that both, like, in all of those comments, we've heard kind of very concrete, like, conversations to have. Like, this is what you can say, and this is where you go with that. Um, but I'd love to hear a little more from L'Oreal. You mentioned kind of in a sort of, well, in a salary negotiation, whether that's happening in a current job or when you're changing positions. Can you talk a little bit about, like, what are things that you um, said and which you didn't say or said that worked really well? Or what advice would you have to people who really want to have that conversation with their employers or potential future employers? So the first thing you do is start a brag book. Um, I think it was a Wall Street Journal article recently that came out about it. And I do this actually every time I start a new job, I start an email folder and then I drag all of my accomplishments in there. Just feel good things because sometimes you have shitty days and you just need to pick me up. Um, so I reflect on that. I'm like, I'm awesome. Um, I know I'm a badass on Monday, we had um, our Black Affinity Group at work, actually, because we're right now in the midst of performance reviews. And I just started this job in January, so I'm about 90 days in. And first, I was like, I don't really have much to say. Like, I haven't been here that long. So I was like, hold up. Time out. Let me pull out this piece of paper. And I started jotting down all of the accomplishments that I have made thus far in the three, four months that I've been there. And that's what you bring to the table when you have your salary negotiations. Your performance review is the time for you to start to actually, by the time you get to the performance review, it's a little too late. Um, you need to start building the case for yourself. If you have weekly, monthly, whatever the check-in is with your supervisor, start putting that bug in their ear about, hey, I've been taking on extra work and doing this project, that project. These are the outcomes. Um, I learned today that a uh, story that I helped pitch or landed in one of our um, regions in Massachusetts. We have offices there. Paper did a story on one of our teachers. The team sent it, the development team sent it to one of their donors, and then in turn, they gave them a $25,000 check, like, oh, you guys are doing great work, keep it up. And it's like, yeah, I did that. So I added that to my list of accomplishments. It's being, not the humble brag that we see on social media, like, forget that, actually brag on yourself. And I think as women, we've been trained to be meek and play it small and don't really tout your accomplishments, and that's bullshit. And that gets you nowhere. It doesn't. You do yourself a disservice by playing yourself small. So go into your performance review with those accomplishments, with the ad value, whatever the monetary, like quality over, hold on, quality is important too. <laughs> what I was trying to state is like in your resume, what my career coach was telling me about is to quantify your accomplishments as well, because numbers talk at the end of the day. If you're saving your company money, if you've added this client, this, that, and the other, you need to speak about it. No one's going to just hand you something on a silver plate, you have to tell them why you're worth it. Um, and doing that research ahead of time, knowing that this is either what the position is worth or this is what I've seen with my friends at other organizations. I mean, you don't have to tell them that, but knowing your your head. Um, and with my current position, when they were like, well, we don't negotiate. I was like, mm, red flag. But then I got the offer letter and I was like, we're cool. It's all good. Because <laughs> I had a number in my mind that I knew I wasn't going to go below. And it was about that. So I was like, all right. And I will tell anyone now or after a word you want to know like, what my salary is. I have no problem sharing that with people because, again, that's the only way we're going to go forward and make more money. Um, Career Contessa has a salary project on their website where they list women by different um, cities. That's anonymous. You submit your information, your title, your industry, your age, um, the city that you live in, because that, of course, plays a role as well, cost of living, and to see what people are making in different 
um, positions or the same position as you across the country. So there's resources out there and sometimes you just have to ask if people tell you, right? There'll be someone who can help you. And like one of my interns at um, my previous job, because of course my position's open and actually my whole team because they don't pay. <laughs> and she wanted to know because she's studying now PR and interviewing with agencies. And I was told her like, and I feel not bad, but just being honest again, like what I would have told 21 year old me, it's okay to go after the money. Like that's not a bad thing. Money is not the root of all evil. Like we've been trained to believe for so many years. I think after I read uh, Jensen Shiro's, you're a badass and you're a badass and making money. Highly recommend. <laughs> and I just told her like, you can work for a job and I'm not saying sell your soul and just like whatever. Um, but you can do a job, get a good paycheck, then donate to causes that you believe in or join the associate board or volunteer with them, but you don't have to, again, with the martyrdom syndrome and a lot of nonprofits, it's like, it doesn't have to be that way. So. Yeah, I love the idea of a kind of brag book. And like, I think even going through that almost meditative process of the research and pulling all your information together, it even calms the nerves of some people that, you know, might struggle with those conversations or just go in thinking, I need more money, but I'm not really sure what I'm supposed to say. And I think I deserve it. But, you know, I think that process is a really good. Um, I have one more thing I want to hit okay. on with you. Um, on your, like, kind of expanding on your finances discussion, I have just a thought toward all the things that you're probably juggling with all the different ways that clients pay you and might be charging. Can you give us some kind of functional thoughts around tools that you use or kind of processes behind kind of keeping all of it straight? Yes. So um, a lot of it to me comes down to um, a Google sheet. A Google sheet. It's so easy. Um, And essentially in it, and I know that there are like you know, CRM systems out there that do all this, but I need to just like see it all in one place. And I have um, on the left-hand column, I have all of the jobs that have either paid me or about to pay me. And then the jobs that are sort of I've bid on that may or may not happen. Um, and those are all in there too. And I just like put in the uh, the numbers on the second column. And um, at the bottom is my what I'm going to make that year. And essentially, it's sort of, you know, it's going to be June. And I've done until June what I have done all what I did all of last year. Now, keep in mind, that was my first year of full time freelance. So that is kind of the growth area. But essentially, like, I, I, I go for the same amount of money every month, no matter where it comes from. And that's always the goal. So it's sort of like, okay, here's my minimum per month. Like, do I wish upon a star for the extra couple thousand dollars or do I go and ask someone for it for next month? And a lot of times what ends up happening is like too much happens in one month and then nothing happens the next month or something like that. Um, but that's sort of how I keep track of it all. Um, I, I look at money in a new way now. So before I went out on my own, when I was nine to five, um, it was a really scary topic and I really hated talking about it. And I didn't want to talk about it ever with anyone, not even myself. Like I didn't want to look at my credit score. I didn't want to like look at my bank account. I just kind of liked knowing that I had a certain amount coming in 
and I could kind of have this general lifestyle and that was fine. Um, but now it's much different because I have to get all the money and I have to keep track of all the money and I don't love that. Um, but it's sort of, I look at it in a more, as a more of an ally than someone that I want to ignore. Um, and that was a really big hurdle for me is kind of deciding to think about money as my friend that is sort of like out there and we can have lunch and we can really like talk about it and it's still sort of tough, but, um, that's, I've really changed the way that I look at money, um, at, to be a more of a friendly, a friendly face, I suppose. Um, yeah, there's that. Yeah. Um, does anyone else, I know that now you can already mentioned budgeting or L'Oreal have kind of tools that come to mind for business owners or people who want to become entrepreneurs about managing finances. <laughs> hold on, hold on. I have some very real thoughts. I don't like to give them any talks on it because I feel like it's like droning on. I feel very, very strongly about cash flow versus budget. So like budget to me is like, here are some numbers, here's what I want to make, here's what I can spend, blah, blah, blah. But cash flow to me is more about like cash in, cash out, where you stand, your cash position, Um, you know, to me, looking at a profit and loss statement is all fine and good, but it doesn't really show me where the money is. Oh, I believe very strongly in like knowing where your money is at all times, having like very strong ideas of like how much you're spending. Like I can tell you right now, like what our operational costs are on a month to month basis and trying to like kind of understand some of the more seasonal costs that you might accrue and like preparing for that. So to me, having a cash flow document, which is just like, here's my cash position at the beginning of the month. Here are all my monthly expenses. Here is what I'm randomly paying out. Here's where we're standing um, with our our loans or any of that information. Um, and then just, I used to manage a business that it was a very high input and output of cash. So I had to be on it constantly. And now what we do now is not that bad. So it's a lot easier, but when you are managing numbers that much and when things do fluctuate and when you do have a busy month and you don't have, a, and then you have a really busy month to follow, like you need to understand how to plan for those dry spells, how to spread the money out, how, when you are going to be dry. Like I will look at Kelsey and be like, all right, we're broken three months. Like we need to make this happen. Um, and, and I mean, it, it's, it, it helps you kind of anticipate things. It helps you just visualize where you are. And I match that up with just a forecast. I mean, when I was out of college, I did B2B sales and, you know, I funnel and all the things that were like jammed in my head. Um, cause I went to like a sales school. Um, but those are very real. Like I will, I will at any time be able to show Kelsey and like, here's the money we're making and like, here's what we're forecasting and like, here's when it's dropping and I spread it out according to month and I like program it in in my spreadsheet. And, and we do use a CRM system. Like we use Salesforce. And I love it for that because, because we are high volume with the websites, like it's really easy to help to track that versus like constantly going back into our emails. Um, so we invested in that in this year because I was like, listen, this is going to set us up because we, if we have plans to grow, like this is going to be something that once it hits, we can just like flip the switch and boom, like it's working for us. That is like, I'm going to tell you will change your life financially. We send our clients contracts through Adobe Sign, and they include a credit card authorization sheet that they can fill out. We process it through Stripe before we even start their projects. Like, I will tell you that financially, if you can set yourself up in such a way that you are collecting a deposit 
or the majority of payment at the beginning of your services. It requires a level of comfort with you and your client, and it also requires like a certain monetary amount. But the biggest thing that is the hardest part, and I'm sure there's like a million entrepreneurs in here who are about to nod their heads, is getting paid is not easy. It's people will take as long as they can to pay you because no one wants to spend money, even if they have it. Get it up front as much as you can. You feel good about it. They feel good about it. And you don't go around like, well, I did all this work for you. And they're like, well, I decided I didn't want it. Adobe Sign is great. It's worth the like yearly $120 payment or whatever other service you can use because then you have it all documented and asking for that, even if you're not going to run anything on it, like do it in a secure way. Get your money up front. Whatever tool you do it with, it will save you so much heartache and so many small lawyer fees. Oh, um, yeah. We take a deposit before we start, when someone signs on with us with a website, we're like, we're just charging you 10% right now. Then we charge the rest of it on Monday, the first day we start. And with our production, there is an automatic engagement fee. And I like, I won't even start working on your project until I see that money come through. But like, effectively we do. And then we ask for the rest of the money before the event even starts. Cause I have, we've had clients that we've gotten burned bad where we're like, where is the money? Like three months later, and we're like, we can't be doing this. We can't be doing this. And once you've been burned once, it's like never again. Because how do you plan for that? Like if if you're expecting to be paid in October and you're not getting paid till December, that's three months rent. That's that's a lot of money that's just wasting away. And like it's not your job to go after these people for hours on end. Like your job is to just do your job and get paid. So if you can, like messaging is everything. We write it in our contract. We talk about it like it's nothing. If you just approach it and you're like, I'm confident, like this is what I'm asking for. Like I don't even skip a beat. I'm like, we charge $300 when you sign on with us. The rest, the 2700 fee is charged on the Monday of the project. And then for production, I'm like, here's what we're asking for right when you sign this contract. Here's what you're paying us before the day of the event. Show up with the check on the day of, if that's possible. We're not doing this. Close the book. Mic drop. <laughs> Pay me my money. Find show notes for this episode at fourthchicago.com slash podcast. Be sure to subscribe in iTunes to receive each episode as it's released. Until next time, find us on Facebook and Instagram at 4th Chicago.